Forget that as we're just this meeting is being recorded. Um, and so our third and, and final question um, to yeah, just kind of introduce here. So what type of idolatry would you say is most pervasive and damaging in our time? So not in biblical scripture times, but in our time, which type of idolatry would you say is most per pervasive and damaging? And we only pick one. I, I, I think I open it up so that you can pick uh, multiple okay. ones. But Okay. All right. <laughs> so there's the most and then the mostest. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I really wish I could like, well, I, I might do that for next time. So I'm just using the free version of Slido, which only allows me three questions per session. <laughs> so, um, uh, because I would like to kind of add to this list over time and, and things. So uh, we'll, we'll pop this up, you know, probably at the end of our uh, book club and uh, see where our opinions are at, at at that time. But I mean, I wish you could just kind of choose all, but. <laughs> There's like four of them that are my top. I have to mm -hmm. choose this one, though, huh? Okay. Or the one I'm personally working on right now. <laughs> <laughs> I picked more than one. I picked three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, so you can pick more than one? Yeah, I think yeah. I opened it up so that you can do that. Well, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always hate that when I'm in a class and they ask for the one and it's always hard to like especially on the spot to really consider it and so i <laughs> i typically open that up so you can always vote for more okay oh yeah so we've got some some good ties here <laughs> so sex the arm of flesh culture of babylon and elitism and pharisaism we've got some hard things to work through we <laughs> living in the, the last days is is a tough one isn't it well but it's exciting too yeah, exactly. Could have added a couple more, like pride. <laughs> I mean, you know, pride is the downfall of all cultures, and and then the other one I would do is probably technology in a sense. I mean, the use of it. Not mm. that we don't love technology, Cameron, but <laughs> <laughs> but it can can be a tricky one to navigate sometimes, huh? <laughs> all right. Well, um, with that kind of just waiting for people to uh, join in and stuff. Let's go ahead and start with a prayer and then uh, we'll kind of dive into introductions and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, let's see, mother. Uh, so my mom here is is our co-moderator, <laughs> Darlene. Um, if you would offer us an opening prayer and we can uh, go ahead and dive on in. Okie dokie. <laughs> our kind heavenly father. Uh, we're grateful to meet here this morning uh, to study uh, modern idolatry from the Isaiah Institute. We're grateful to have Avraham's studies to for us to study from. We're grateful for his work and that he's and the time and the effort that he's put into this. Um, we're great, grateful to be able to be living in the last days here and, and 
grateful for this information so that we have kind of a map to help us through um, the things that are coming. And we're grateful for our association and friendship with each other. And we ask you to please bless us that we'll get to know each other and that we'll enjoy this time together. And please bless us that we'll have a spirit with us as we do so. These blessings we pray for in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So just a little bit about uh, Isaiah Institute and us and kind of some housekeeping things before we get started. If uh, any of you are new, um, or I mean, sorry, if any of you have already been through this, sorry, <laughs> I'm only going to take like five minutes. But um, so with the Isaiah Institute, um, to access any of the recordings, if you miss things, um, you'll you'll sign in to isaiahinstitute.com and uh, navigate over to live book clubs. And then you'll see uh, the book clubs that you're a part of, and you can click on those and, and watch those uh, any given week. I think they expire after like six weeks. It'll have the, the most recent six videos there. Um, but if you have problems with that process, uh, email me and then I can uh, walk you through that. Um, but just know that uh, <laughs> I, there's a couple that I missed last year, but I, I try to make sure to hit the record button so that those are always available and you can catch those. Um, so just a little bit about me. Um, uh, I uh, lead a, a bunch of book clubs and uh, found the Isaiah Institute that way uh, from reading Isaiah Decoded. And um, so, you know, fair warning, uh, one of the the principles of volunteering with the Hebraeus Foundation or the Isaiah Institute is that we don't uh, cross, <laughs> contaminate, I guess. Um, uh, so I'm not, if you are interested in any of that kind of stuff, that's a private conversation. It's not like I'm ever um, uh, doing that and, and promoting my, myself here, but uh, I'm interested in Hebrew. I'm teaching a Hebrew class right now. Um, uh, temple and family history is like one of my great loves. I teach at Roots Tech and serve in the temple here. And um, anyway, I just kind of a gospel nerd, <laughs> even though that I use that a lot. I <laughs> promise I won't beat that horse on the ground. But um, so diving into um, this book, uh, our first one, Modern Idolatry and the End of the World, one of my my biggest concerns, and, and I'm, I'm sure that we're all adults and, and can handle this just fine, but I really want to avoid contention. And um, uh, sometimes the trickiest conversations to navigate are ones where, oh, I've left Babylon and you haven't, and uh, in any given sort of space. And so I, I do want to, to make sure that we... Um, uh, consider our language as we are talking about these. Um, just because I don't do sports doesn't mean that I'm trying to project that on anyone else kind of a thing, but um, just making sure that we have good civil discourse, just a quick disclaimer, because <laughs> I've gotten to some tricky situations over the, the past couple of years with family and marriage and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and yeah, just kind of diving into um, the, the, the subject matter. The reason that we kind of chose this one is our, our book club last year uh, uh, read through Isaiah Decoded, and we wanted to kind of take a, a deeper dive into chapters five and six. 
So um, I want to just pull up on the screen really quick um, chapter, a little snippet from chapter five that talks about the Zion Jerusalem level of the latter um, and, and why this book is going to help us understand that. So um, yeah, let me just uh, read that. So this is uh, again from chapter five and it says people pass or fail three tests of loyalty. To reach the Zion Jerusalem level at the end of the world, we must deal with three dark forces. These seek to prevent our progress, blocking us from ascending to heaven. But they also provide tests of loyalty to God that all must pass who ascend to Zion Jerusalem. They demonstrate the nature of ascent as overcoming opposition, showing that surmounting evil in the world is a necessary ingredient for, of our growth. Those who pass the tests receive all the blessings of God's covenant, an endowment of God's spirit, divine protection against enemies, permanent lands of inheritance, and enduring offspring. Those who fail the test pass out of this life, perhaps to await some future opportunity to ascend. Isaiah's three tests resemble those in Greek legend and appear also in the literature of ancient Mesopotamia. Odysseus, on his return home from Troy, for example, faces three similar such tests, each of which he passes, Cyclops, the Sirens, and false suitors. Isaiah's version of these three tests are the king of Assyria slash Babylon, idolaters or idolatry, and false brethren. By passing the tests, God's people ascend to Zion Jerusalem, but by failing them, they descend to Babylon. Isaiah's three tests don't necessarily follow any, a particular order, yet they are trials of God's people in every sense. Each attempts to divert their loyalty away from the true God to a counterfeit to itself. The king of Assyria slash Babylon represents a political dictatorship that pressures people under pain of death to submit to its control. Idolaters seduce people by selling them Babylon's standard of total materialism and sensual gratification. And false brethren abuse their ecclesiastical authority and, in God's name, ostracize people who don't adopt their current religious point of view. In addition, the three tests allude to temptations, <laughs> temptations such as envy, jealousy, lust, hate, anger, pride, and personal ambition. So um, that was one thing that really stood out to me when I was reading Isaiah Decoded for the first time a couple of years ago. These three tests of loyalty, I've never heard... I had heard of the latter in, in various ways, but I had never understood what it really took for the Zion Jerusalem level. Like what was there, what we were to encounter. And these three tests of loyalty really stood out to me, that there is a political test of loyalty, an ecclesiastical test of loyalty, and um, a, a Babylonian test of loyalty, uh, leaving idolatry behind. And so... Um, that was one of the, the reasons I really uh, was hoping that we would uh, pick this book to kind of take a dive into what that idolatry looks like and, and how to leave it and, and what we are facing in our world. Um, because if, if Isaiah's pattern is anything for us today, it is showing us that what has been shall be. And we are under the same uh, type of pressures and temptations and, and trials that they uh, went through anciently. And so what can we learn from that? Um, if we are steeped in idolatry and we don't even know it, how can we ever pass our three tests of loyalty and, and prove to God our 
willingness to serve him at all costs, uh, to keep covenants, anything, everything just kind of swirled together. And um, uh, these just really stuck with me. Uh, it, it's been a, a kind of a guiding post on, on my journey. And so um, with this first book, we're going to take a look at, at chapter five with that. Um, with our second book that we're going to study together, uh, Becoming Kings and Queens of the Gentiles, this is going to dive into chapter six, um, which is the son servant level of the ladder, and how we can uh, learn the patterns of, of ascension as we pass our three tests of loyalty. What's next? How can we prepare on our hero's journey um, in, in that way? So... Let's take a look at, um, for those of you that, that have the book, or um, I'm going to pull it up on the screen so that we can kind of read along in, in some of the parts as well, uh, for those that don't have a book, but uh, just kind of looking at the preface and uh, everything just right off the bat. Um, I knew that I would lose it, just a second. <laughs> Where did it go? <laughs> you only have 49 tabs to look at. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there it is. All right. So here in the preface, um, I really, <laughs> usually I just kind of skip past prefaces and, and some of that kind of stuff, but I, I found this um, very enlightening. So is that big enough that, that people can read it on the screen? Yes. Okay. So because the most reliable end-time guide next to direct prophecy consists of scriptural types or patterns from the past, Israel's prophets in large uh, part, let's see, in large part, prophecy using such types as foreshadowings of the future. So how does this relate to what we are learning and being guided with now by our current prophet? It, it, it it just strikes me so hard that our prophet is leading us in this same pattern, that the personal revelation is, is where it's at, right? I mean, that's the most reliable part of, of being guided from heaven is to, to get direct prophecy. Yep. But yet we have the scriptures. And so that's why we kind of need a, a three-pronged system, right? We need modern prophets, we need scriptures, and we need the ability to access prophecy for ourselves in order to, to prove all things. And so that, that first sentence really hit hard that um, Israel's prophets really set the, the foundations for us to, to corroborate um, all of their visions and, uh, uh, and prophecies are laid for us to, to help give us that, that pattern to, to go by. Uh, it's a huge roadmap for us. So, um, just kind of posing this question out, I'd like to, to hear your responses. What is the purpose of a prophet? And what is the purpose of prophecy? Like, why do we even have that? Why doesn't God just always reveal it to us personally? Why do we have such mediators? You want us just to jump in? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have <laughs> given our... Uh, um, I think there are several purposes to a prophet. First of all, uh, it brings authority to the earth um, for uh, uh, priesthood ordinances and, and uh, temple and all of that. Um, also, um, 
he 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 um, gives general uh, commandments. The personal the personal uh, revelation needs to, of course, be in agreement with what the prophet says. If uh, but uh, it's kind of like a I don't know if any of you have ever milked, but when there's a milking stool and it has three legs and and if you don't have all three legs, you fall down on your bum. And so um, the, the prophet's purpose is, well, it's manifold, but basically to have the power of the priesthood um, here on earth. And to guide us in general uh, uh, general uh, information and uh, and to for to foresee what's coming to prepare us for what's coming mm-hmm. yeah, love that yeah, Lisa gotta be on mute you unmute myself so. Um, along those lines, um, prophets are a manifestation of God's love uh, for us because there's many people who may not be able to receive personal revelation. They aren't, haven't progressed spiritually or they don't know how. And when you live within or are within the sound of a prophet's voice, he can call to people that would not otherwise be led to the good shepherd or to the lord jesus so it's it's a manifestation to me it's a manifestation of love mm-hmm. yeah that's great i love that um so taking a look at especially old testament but we've got oh sorry uh let's go uh flora and nancy <laughs> i didn't see any hands before i looked down <laughs> uh yeah my thought was kind of along with that three stooled thing it's kind of that second third witness we have personal revelation we have prophets and we have scriptures and if back up you know if we can have that those additional witnesses then it helps keep us aligned Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i love that yeah nancy oh i was just gonna say that prophets are to point us to christ and get us on that path um they are to call people to repentance that goes along with um what somebody else said about you know being able to reach those people who spiritually can't um uh, feel the holy ghost themselves and um and they have the ability they have the responsibility and accountability for the physical ordinances here on this earth so that's really the three things and we have a tendency in the church to want to put more things on them and give them more responsibilities, but they are to call people to repentance. I mean, how many prophets have you heard saying, I've been told you to speak nothing but repentance to these people, right? To point them to Christ and to provide the ordinances and everything else is our stewardship. That's their stewardship. And we have a lot of people want to put, um, the responsibility that should be theirs onto the prophets and say, well, they didn't tell me, they didn't say, they didn't, you know, 
that kind of thing. So anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the, uh, uh, I don't know, what's the word that I want, but um, kind of like a pattern from scriptures, right? Sometimes we, we don't want a prophet, we want a king. We want somebody to just take care of our needs and, and be the, the whole enchilada versus mm -hmm. uh, taking personal responsibility and, and getting personal revelation, studying the scriptures for ourselves kind of a thing. I love that. So um, we have a, a category of prophets called apocalyptic prophets. And so I wanted to, to make sure that we define it so that we're all kind of on, on the same page there. But um, apocalyptic is often thought of as like, oh, it's it's the, the scary doomsday kind of thing, right? But if we take a look at the, the Greek word for apocalypse, apo means un, and calypse is covering. So it's the uncovering or the unveiling or the rev revealing of something. And so as we take a look at like the, the book of Revelation, right? It's not plural. It's, it's one singular revelation. And um, in most <laughs> other languages, it's called apocalypsis or uh, the apocalypse, the uncovering of the, the whole cosmic vision. Uh, that's what Avraham typically calls that in all of his writings is the cosmic vision or the vision of all. And so um, we have quite a few apocalyptic prophets. Not all of them um, have their, their writings in our current canon. Um, you know, there's many uh, apocryphal ones that are also apocalyptic, but anytime that we're talking apocalyptic, um, we're talking about a prophet who's seen forward to the actual end time scenario that we would be living in and prophesied about it using familiar terms to their people. So it, it all apocalyptic literature is dual natured. It applied to them, it applies to us, but the reason they were receiving it was largely um, for the end time to prepare so that we would um, <laughs> be able to gain our bearings in, in the last days because um, here we have the entire history of the world and we're sandwiching it all into a short little tiny frame where everything that has been shall be and, and it's going to come at us really fast and so um isaiah is kind of the type of of apocalyptic prophets but um i i just find it interesting here with the preface it really expounds upon that that um the parallels between ancient israel and spiritual israel today for example provide a yardstick of how we measure up to god's with god's people in the past um so that we can know what to expect so diving into chapter one, uh, we're going to try to <laughs> get through chapter one and two today. Uh, I don't think we'll get through all of those four. We might have to kind of take this a little bit slower, but um, uh, here he starts off by saying that uh, when we speak of idolatry, we're, we may be tempted to think of people venerating statues, bowing down before dumb idols and participating in processions with icons raised on port uh, portable pedestals. But idolatry can take lots of different forms, right? And um, so that, that part here, idol worship assumes many forms besides these, less tangible perhaps than statue, statue worship, but just as virulent. And so um, this first sentence here, let's put this into our own words. How would you reword this into a, um, like say you were presenting in Sunday school or uh, with your family or, or anything, how would you um, 
reword this so that it can make sense to, to everyone. So in essence, idolatry comprises any activity that diverts a worshiper's attention from the true God and his law to a counterfeit. Any ideas on, on how you would put that in either simpler terms or in our modern kind of LDS lingo? Anything we... that distracts you. Anything that distracts you from following the spirit, feeling the spirit or um, following the spirit, um, things along those lines um, is, is taking you away from the true God um, or anything that is a counterfeit to that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I have this whole list of the God things and then the counterfeits. And mm -hmm. it's quite eye opening when you sit and you start to think about what those are. Um, you know, like we, God has Zion, but the world is trying to create their own counterfeit, you know, with this agenda 2030 and smart cities and things along those lines. They're trying to create the outward appearance of Zion without having to do the work, right? And so that's that counterfeit. So any activity that's that's taking us away from God or trying to replace God in mm -hmm. our life. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, let's go with Lisa and then with Amy. It's hard to walk around in this world without bumping into idolatry. And it's so subtle that sometimes it's hard to recognize as well. Um, I like was just said, I think a lot of it has to do with anything that offends the spirit or doesn't invite the spirit in. If the spirit's not there, then it's time to take a look at it. And just in my own life, um, I lost my first baby. And so I was a very... Um, fear-based in much of my mothering after that, trying to really protect my children. And, you know, I really feel like in many ways, I put my children ahead of God. And I had to kind of come to terms with that. And that was part of my journey. And I'm still, you know, dealing with the subtle little, almost like little energy um, connections to things that connect me to my fear-based thinking. So anything that takes us away from having that prayer in our hearts that rejoices towards God, that takes us out of that pure Zion place, we are interfacing with, with, um, with idolatry and Babylon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that because even good things can, can become idolatrous and we, we see that so much in our world. Yeah, so let's go with Amy. Um, I was just going to add, um, just later in the, towards the end of the chapter, I think he, um, a good clarification is when he says, the whole heart must be occupied with the things of God, um, must continually remember his commandments in order to maintain true worship. When the hearts of God's people are changed by their idolatries, they grow alienated from God so that they can't hear with their spiritual ears. Um, and, and I think just kind of going along with what Lisa and Nancy said, it's just 
uh, recognize, you know, discerning when, um, when your heart is turned to God and when something that you're doing is turned. And I think, you know, not taking that, taking the, the phrase, you know, to remember him always lightly, you know, but to realize that everything we do can either turn our hearts to remembering him or away. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I love that. Um, did I see um, Ulrike's hand? Am I pronouncing your name right, by the way? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. All I'm right. Uh, okay, I, I'm. It was said. Uh, what I also thought is, um, it's uh, things which seems to be good or by God, mm -hmm. or um, which are good things, but not the best thing. Mm. So I think in this end time we are living now, it's more important to um, to look um, to to give God the whole heart not only a bit of our heart. And I think it's a big danger around uh, us in if you are uh, working uh, at work. So when someone tells you it's only a little lie, it's not important. So things like this, I would say, these are the modern and very dangerous uh, adultery. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Because uh, <laughs> if we've learned anything from, from this chapter, that uh, uh, to reemphasize the point that, that Satan is so subtle, like it's just a little bit here and, and a little bit there. Um, I, I've got it in my notes for chapter two, but it, it kind of goes in this stage. I'm sure we've seen like this meme or, or a, a representation of this on, on social media or something, but where we just can absolutely abhor something and then we progress to a, a toleration of it. I mean, okay, it's fine, but it has to exist over there. And then we, we learn to accept it and then embrace it. And then eventually we're worshiping it and uh, ostracizing anybody else who, who might still be abhorring it over here kind of a thing. And so it's just by little means, oh, it's just a little lie. And then it snowballs in, into something much bigger, like you were saying. It, it, <laughs> it's amazing that process and and uh, being able to, to recognize that in your life uh, or in somebody's life around you. And you're like, whoa, you're you're kind of slipping here um, and uh, giving yourself kind of a reality check of, hey, get back to where you need to be. Uh, it's very important. Um, let's see. Because we don't have a whole heck of a lot of time. So I'm going to kind of skip some of my, my different notes here. But um, I wanted to talk about the... Um, the idea that Israel is the leaven of the loaf, that um, based upon covenant keeping Israel's actions, well, I guess not covenant keeping, just covenant Israel's actions, the whole world is affected by it. So in what ways have you seen that to be true? That as, um, as covenants are made and kept, that those surrounding, uh, those people that are surrounding or are in the influence of, of those, uh, tend to do better versus when we start breaking covenants uh, that people around us, their their lives start devolving into chaos. Have you seen that to be a true principle in your life and in, in, uh, those around you, et cetera? 
in the strength of families, that's an example that comes to mind. Just as those that are keeping their covenants within, you know, family covenants end up having stronger families, which influence generations and their communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just kind of a ripple effect. Uh, and it's interesting, the power of covenants to, to really raise everyone. And so I think that that's a, a huge sign for us today on how the world's doing and looking straight back at, at God's covenant people. Um, you know, it can be any religion, really, but anybody that, that's following God. But um, even to a greater extent, those that have proper priesthood authority and uh, what they are doing with their covenants, I think is, is a huge sign. Yeah, Lisa. Uh, I loved what Flora said about bringing in other generations, because we can be mired in intergenerational work that we're doing that's coming through in the RNA DNA, and we don't even know where it's coming from, but it's acting as stumbling blocks. So, you know, there's just so much uh, redemptive work that needs to be done in the world. And often it's uh, affecting families generationally. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems sometimes a little insurmountable. Like uh, when I first started diving in and kind of waking up to Isaiah and end time prophecies and stuff, I was like, Oh my gosh, we have so much to deal with here. I mean, we're not just talking about ourselves. We're talking about our families. We're talking about generations. We're talking about the whole earth. It's, it's a little overwhelming right at first when you're kind of getting fire hosed with it, right? But um, as we, we learn about our covenants within uh, a temple setting, within our, our meeting houses and within our families and our homes, learning the power of covenants and, and how we can access and draw upon that power to um not to to beat that that phrase into the, the ground but to leaven the loaf as as we uh strive to um be that that salt that that leaven that can really add and, and benefit the whole i think is such an important principle um So yeah, and then that that paragraph there where it talks about that the whole heart must be occupied, um, that we we have many scriptures, right, that our eye must be single to his glory. It's not wandering about. Um, one of my favorite um, dramatizations of this, I, I, I would say, is is that amazing love story. Anybody that's uh, known me for the past couple of years, I, I, <laughs> I share this one all the time. Um, but it's amazing love, um, the story of Hosea and, and Gomer. And it is like the most impactful dramatizations to, to really drive home this point in a simplified manner that God will love us but we have to be true to him when he is there buying back Gomer who has sold herself into just absolute dire straits. I, she has now reduced herself to not only a slave or uh, somebody without worth. She can't even fetch any kind of a price. Nobody wants her and she's a laughing stock. And yet he comes and says, I'm buying you back, but you will be true. You will be my wife and, and I will love you and you will love me and, and accept the terms of the covenant. And, and she just, it, it's hard for her to even comprehend why 
God would still reach out after she's been so unfaithful and so unkind to her her husband. And yet um, it, it it brings me back to, to this phrase here that Avraham says, the whole heart must be occupied with the things of God. If, if we don't have our whole heart in it, if, we, if we're wandering in, in our sight from, from day to day, from hour to hour, then we need to take a look at our idolatry. That's where it stems. We have pride, we have idolatry, and, and we need to root that out and uh, become faithful, become the, the bride that will usher in the, the second coming of our bridegroom. Um, so anything else from uh, chapter one, that, that first part there that you would like to discuss or uh, any parts that really stood out to you? Raise my hand. How do you raise your hand? Oh, um, so let's see. Down at the bottom, um, there's a reactions button. It's like a little smiley face looking thing. Um, if you click on that, it will uh, have the option to, to raise your hand. Um, oh, they're okay. But yeah, and you can also just kind of speak up and uh, interrupt. Well, I, I, I just wanted to say something about what's been being discussed just recently. Part of this is mm -hmm. that. Being a covenant keeper does not make life easy. That often, like I tell my class, uh, those who aren't keeping covenants, who are just living their lives, uh, the adversary doesn't have to worry about them because they're staying away. Mm -hmm. He only has to worry about those who are trying to keep their covenants. And so we're lamb blasted much more than just the general public, I believe because he doesn't have to worry about them. Uh, if we, if we, I mean, when you think about the things that come to you and to your family, uh, those trials and tribulations are a blessing because they help refine us, but they aren't, they aren't non-existent. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. It, and, and we'll dive a lot into that with um, becoming kings and queens and, and things that, I mean, it, it's not an easy path to keep covenants, is it? it it's not the uh, the easy way of the world, but yet it, um, either way, uh, either breaking a covenant or keeping a covenant has huge impact. I love that. Um, oh, and I totally <laughs> sometimes I, I kind of forget to to check the chat and stuff but yeah linda uh is joining us and, and she wrote a, a book on that the redemption of the the bride um that was a, a very powerful class uh at education week last year I, I loved it um so let's see diving into uh chapter two so this one is the um coexistence of true and false worship. And I think that this one is very enlightening. Um, it kind of give it, it kind of gives some some markers to, to look at as we are uh, diving into idolatry as a whole. Um, but the fact that we have this this need to worship two gods at the same time. I think that this is a very pervasive thing uh, within the church these days and within the world at, at large. But um, there in that first paragraph, it says, people often worship the true God alongside the false gods. They maintain a careful equilibrium in order to preserve an identity with the God of Israel, the God of their fathers, but at the same time, they follow their own gods as they please. 
And, you know, we would all like to think of ourselves as, oh, no, I'm a good Latter-day Saint. I I know that I'm monotheistic. I worship one God only kind of a thing. But in reality, I would say that we are all guilty of this at, at points in our life. Unless, unless any of you are seraphim here, <laughs> I would say that uh, we we can all uh, take a good strong look at ourselves and, and find that um, that we still have issues um, with dual worship. Um, at least I know that I do. But <laughs> um, going down to that second paragraph here. Um, it says in some instances, let me actually pop it up on the screen because I sometimes forget that we don't all have the book yet. It says in some instances of idolatry, worship of the true God and false gods becomes fused. Then the concept of a true God gets distorted while the false gods assume the authenticity and endorsement that belongs to the true God. Of all idolatry, God finds such such syncretism most intolerable you know have we seen that in in our scriptures um where i wish you were either hot or cold i I, i'm gonna spew you out of my mouth if you're just lukewarm if like if you're trying to worship and and play both sides of the fence here it's not going to work It, it epitomizes the idea of philosophies of men mingled with scripture and um it's so interesting how that works, right? That things incongruent with true worship acquire an aura of sanctity. So um, I don't know if everyone's experienced this, but I I know that I have that anytime that I receive kind of a a pushback or a, uh, a kind of thing. So not trying to share my whole life story, but um, with with some members in my family, they come back and no, you're you're studying the wrong things. You're you're getting too out there, you're too wild, and uh, not staying focused in scripture enough. And and it's interesting because the very thing that they're accusing me of is what they're doing. And so, like, have you seen that in the world today, uh, political wise, uh, with with religion, with just anything, really, uh, especially with politics, because I think that that's one that we can all kind of relate to, that the very thing that someone attacks another person with is often the very thing that that accuser is guilty of themselves. And it's like, how, how does this compute? And and we acquire this aura of sanctity about it that um, we're we're on the Lord's errand trying to, to bring the world to repentance. But but often, if we would just hold up a mirror and and consider the beam that's in our own eye, it it would do us well to 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 ponder and and reflect upon ourselves. Um, how can we ever help others unless we're coming from a true, genuine, Zion-like pattern of of love and gratitude. Uh, We can't fix each other by going to war. That's never worked. So I don't know. It's just really interesting, this chapter on true and false worship being a a, a mixture uh, and holier-than-now kind of attitude with it. Um, Cameron. Yeah. I, when I moved to Utah seven years ago, it was quite the culture shock um, because I moved from Ohio, which is, you know, definitely not Utah. (laughs) And I, you know, I went, there were a couple of activities or things that I went to and, you know, I was at a stake relief society thing one time when the 
Stake Relief Confetti president got up and said, we are so blessed to live here. Aren't we just so wonderful? We have these temples because we're so righteous and aren't we glad we don't live somewhere else? I mean, my friend and I looked at each other and we said, Ramiumptum, anyone? Um, you know, and, and I, I see a lot of the, and they don't even, they don't see it. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't see the, the pride creeping in and, and they don't see how the cultural things are taking over from the doctrinal things. And that's what I'm seeing a lot in people who are leaving the church is that they have believed the cultural things. And as they get older and they look at them, they go, well, this doesn't make sense. This isn't right. So this must not be the way we should go. Um, you know, but at the top of page four in chapter, um, what chapter, chapter two, mm -hmm. it says laying stress on outward observances is often a symptom of alienation from the true God. I mean, we have such a stress on outward observances. Um, young men can't pass the sacrament unless they're wearing a white shirt or you have to, um, you have to sit a certain way. You have to use certain words. You have to, you know, be a certain um, type of member of the church. Um, I know we just had a, we just had a convert baptism from a lady from Jackson, Mississippi, who joined in our ward. And it was very interesting when she got up and bore her testimony because it didn't sound like anybody else's. And it really, I think, made people go, wait a minute, you know, and I'm sure there are some who are going, she's not using the right words. Somebody needs to teach her how to fit in and how to do, and, and that, that outward observances part, uh -huh. right? And and we have to just watch that and catch that in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Flora. I think in a lot of ways, uh, it's human nature. It's human nature to, um, like, you see it a lot in parenting. The, the, the thing that your child is doing that drives you crazy is usually... <laughs> what you see in yourself that drives you crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's human nature to just, so every time I'm, I start to say they should be, I, I'm learning to stop, turn it around and say, what is it that I am doing? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? Where am I judging someone else? Where am I, you know, so, you know, every time it's like, you know, well, they don't see it. They don't see it. They're not. Um, they're, you know, the culture or whatever. They're not doing it right. I mean, we can do it right here in our own conversation today, you know. But turn it around. What am I doing? What am I doing? And that's why I love this particular book because the whole thing is turning it around on me. <laughs> yeah, really getting a, a good reflective thing on ourselves, isn't it? So, like, one thing. Um, I don't know, this might be a tangent and stop me if it is, but um, when I first started trying to uh, kind of wake up or uh, leave Babylon, uh, like Tracy said in the, the chat, let me read that one because it, that's where my thought came from. Um, she said that it's hard. My family, my friends, uh, uh, ward family all refuse to accept my changes in leaving Babylon. I'm seen as the weird one. I'm thankful for the book groups that make me feel okay. 
And so it's interesting that I found some of the most hard ostracism from like-minded people that are waking up as well. Like, yes, my, it, it was really hard for, for my family to, to kind of judge me harshly on like, oh, you're studying the wrong things and uh, you, you need to reform kind of a thing. But what I found even harder was that I, I was being judged by the same people that were also waking up. And um, like, anyway, how do I describe it? I don't even necessarily know. But like, um, sometimes we're very rude or, or crass with, oh, well, you need to do this, 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 like you need to, to get rid of music, you need to get rid of this, uh, entertainment and sports and, and all of these things, because I'm, I've done that and, and I'm holier than thou type of approach. Does that make sense? Versus the, the loving compassion, like, <laughs> okay, so um, I, I've left Babylon and now I'm going to try to coax other people out, but you can't coax them out by by whipping them it's not like holding a carrot and like <laughs> making sure that they they come along by force it's it needs to be a, a very gentle approach and, and patient like wouldn't you expect the same thing um kind of going back into israelite history i think that this is a, a good um a, a look uh specifically at this chapter of of dualistic uh worshiping of the right god right when the southern tribe gets taken captive over into babylon and the, the Lord gives them basically three main exoduses out of Babylon. They, they have a chance with Zerubbabel, with uh, Ezra, and with Nehemiah. And, and some of them are more comfortable with their summer homes, with their businesses that they've built in Babylon. But yet they're, they're, they're worshiping the true God, and they're lamenting the fact that they even got exiled in the first place. But yet, how many of them were, were laughing and, and mocking each other? as they're they're trying to leave and and backslide uh back into uh the the pole of babylon uh, and so i find that that's uh, something to uh to catch ourselves on you know i i often hear it in <laughs> many of our, our groups and circles right that oh why can't we just study this in in sunday school everybody else is just so far behind and, and everything but if we take a look at our master teacher did he ever serve up a, a five-course dinner with steak and, and potatoes and all the rest no he 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 masterfully taught at all levels within parables and, and likewise if we truly want to to build zion we can can overcome our our natures to go oh why can't we just learn this we're so far behind versus taking it upon ourselves to to learn the vocabulary of the master and speaking in parables, learning that type of language and how to present it so that other people might be able to hear the voice of the spirit in their own language, kind of a thing, if that makes sense. Um, anyway, it, it's just interesting that leaving Babylon is such a tricky process because we, we get ostracism from Babylon itself, but we also can receive ostracism from from those also exiting and it just makes it really hard <laughs> but um uh, that's why i, I love think it maybe it's because we're each working on our own different idols mm, yeah. and the one that we're working on is the one that's forefront in our minds and you should be working on this too because we want to help those because we love each other it may not be a holier than thou i don't know some people it may be but i think in a lot of times it's not necessarily 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of interesting as well with, um, like, for example, uh, with my, my brother, I uh, kind of put my foot down on, on one thing for myself. Uh, and I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he's actually fine with it, but he, he was like, but why are you doing it though? Are you doing it to try to rub it in my face that I'm doing it? I'm like, no, I, I, I'm just trying to do it for my own <laughs> thing. I, and I could care less if, if you're doing it. Like, uh, I just, I'm, I'm wanting to do my own thing. Uh, you know, like uh, taking a break from social media or, or what have you, like put it in whatever context, like social media is not bad, but yet if it's taken to an excess, it can become idolatrous and Oh, but why are you taking a break from social media? Because it's ruining my life. <laughs> and I'm not trying to say that everyone needs to get off Facebook. I'm just saying for me personally, that was something that I needed to give up kind of thing. And so it's just interesting. Like you said, Flora, that, you know, we all have our own thing that we're working on and, and uh, uh, just making sure that we're not projecting that on others. And uh uh, because then we become that pharisaic dual worshiping um uh pagan for lack of a better word <laughs> but yeah so what other points from from chapter two really stood out to you um in this coexistence of true and false worship um how do you see that in your life and uh how can we help others um kind of break the or, or become aware or or lovingly break that habit of of dual worship yeah tracy well i guess the one i tried the other day was my family all oh, they'll go to church and then they'll go home and turn on their football and their sports and so i was trying to wake up my brother-in-law about because he's he's awake and he knows a lot of things but he doesn't want to hear this, but I was just telling him that all of the major sports, they're rigged. There's magnets in the footballs, and it's, if you look it up, it's, it's deemed as entertainment, not sports, if you look up NFL and all that stuff. And oh my goodness, he went <laughs> on me. He's like, that's not true. And so I was showing him some video clips of football players that had caught the ball and their glove was so stuck to the ball that they had to take the glove off the glove still stuck you know and he just refused to even see it he he's not ready but I feel like that's why I know so much about what I know is I I'm supposed to help wake people up but it just ticks them off even even when I try to minister, um, people just do not want to listen or hear, and I don't know how to do it any more sensitive. You know, it's just so hard. Anyway, yeah, it, it's a hard uh, thing to to learn how to uh, to do that as well. Yeah, Anna. Um, can you hear me well? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, I can relate to a lot of what you guys are saying. I think what stands out to me most and what the lessons I've learned, obviously, when trying to leave Babylon, because I think this is the biggest issue for me as well as worshiping dual gods. And But even along the lines of when you are inadvertently judging people or people might be judging you, 
it reminds me of the story of when Jesus is healing someone and the Pharisees or, you know, the Jews at the time, the leaders are accusing him, who are you to forgive someone's sins? And, you know, obviously because he's God and he's the one who can forgive sins. And, but then on the flip side, who are we to ever say to condemn someone? Who are we to ever say that? If we are, or if, if we're not able to forgive someone's sins, then who are we to ever say that we're, we're going to condemn or whatever, regardless of what they're doing, we shouldn't ever think that, well, they're under condemnation. It really should. That's a personal thing that God is the judge of that, not any one of us, unless of course we're called as a prophet to cry repentance unto them. And, um, I think personally for myself in trying to make sure I'm not, worshiping both gods at the same time one of the lessons I had to learn is not to have like ignorance in the scriptures and not to have some vain hope that you know I'm, I'm going to be doing these things or I'm relying on another person's spiritual experiences of what they've had and using it to my own and or even even going so far as people who have you know not seen Christ face to face um and relying on their vision or ideal of what Christ is and not, and trying to actually do it myself. That, that I think is not taking somebody else's image of what Christ is and doing it at myself. And that's obviously through scriptures and personal revelation. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Totally agree. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Nancy. So, um, I think when we are, we're concerned about trying to wake people up and minister to them and trying to, to share with them. And I, I think sometimes that can be counterproductive. The best thing that we can do is to live a good Zion centered life and to be that example, quietly live what it is that we think people need to do. And we don't have to make a big deal about it. We don't need to say, oh, well, you should be doing this or that. But, you know, if they're, um, if we're all together and they decide they want to watch a certain movie, say, you know, that's great. Um, I think I'm going to go and read over here or something like that and, and not tell them they can't watch what they want to see or, or do what they want to do. Um, or, you know, and it's, it's all in how we do it. If we, if we present it in a way of, oh, well, I'm better than you, then that's not going to be received well. Um, but I have some non-member friends that I, I talk to on a regular basis. And just because of the example that I have been, when they, I know that they talk a lot differently around other people than they talk around me. Because when they slip, they go, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot I'm talking to you right? Because that's what they have come to expect. And they, they change their behavior and become a little bit better um, because of what my expectations are for myself, not my expectations for them. And um, I think that helps um, if we do that in church, if we do that in our families, you know, our extended families. And, and one of the biggest things that we can do is when things um when we share about blessings that we have or great things that are happening in our lives in the world 
you know, it's, it's, oh, I was lucky I got this today, or I was, you know, we think about our wording and change that and say, the Lord has been really good to me. And just get in the habit of giving the credit to the Lord for every good thing that happens. And as you do that, not only are you doing sharing gratitude, um, but you're pointing other people to Christ by doing that without having to lecture anybody about it. And, you know, if somebody gets offended and says, oh, yeah, no, you were just lucky or whatever. Well, you can think that I, I prefer to give credit to the Lord for this blessing and then just let it go. And it doesn't have to turn into a lecture. It doesn't have to turn into anything contentious. And I think that puts us in a better, a better spot to truly demonstrate what it's like to um, try to leave Babylon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, catching up with the chat, sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, Lisa says that I've noticed in my enthusiasm to minister to family, for instance, that I have a lot to learn about how to minister. <laughs> yep. uh, that ministering higher, holier way, but it, it, it also a harder, holier way <laughs> to some degree, isn't it? Um, and then Claire agrees with Nancy that, that Christ meets everyone where they are at. That's a good model for us. So, yeah. Uh, again yeah this this book is kind of the the harder one to to swallow and and wake up and and realize what uh, exactly is happening but uh in our own lives and recognizing it so that we can fix it and uh, be those examples to to others um so i don't know i i almost feel impressed with with this book i I rarely do this (laughs) but uh to to offer challenges each week in in regards to what we're reading but um in, I would offer this challenge for, for this week as we are studying, um, write down every hypocritical thing that, that you think and do this week. And, and that might be hard <laughs> because, you know, you might be uh, the most kind, gentle soul, but um, I, I know that I, I'm trying to do it for myself and uh, I have quite a huge list. <laughs> when I'm praying for the Lord to help enlighten my mind as to when hypocritical thoughts come or hypocritical thoughts pass my tongue, I, I've noticed how, how I'm worshiping God and mammon. Uh, and I, anyway, I would just issue that challenge this week to to write down every hypocritical thought and and word and deed and um uh, try to to root that out and uh, leave that part of babylon this week so kind of bringing us to a conclusion for for today um with with this question of how fast do you want to go through this book? So I originally planned for us to go through modern idolatry in February, becoming kings and queens in March, etc. cetera. Um, Avraham sent us moderators an email with his recommended um, length for each book. And um, uh, he said that modern idolatry should probably take eight weeks. And he gave me a breakdown of, of what it should be. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was wanting to do it all in one class time because it's such a little book. It, it pains me to go so slow. <laughs> but at the same time, 
it, it really struck a chord with me. And I was looking at how he was breaking down the, the chapters and I, 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 I'd feel impressed that at least the, the four weeks, but, but should we take a little bit longer? Should we take the eight weeks and, and uh, go through modern idolatry? Um, There's a lot of meat in it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, for next week, uh, we'll do chapters three and four. Um, so worshiping images and uh, violence and sex. So uh, if anybody also has this book, The Last Days, right? Mm -hmm. um, the modern idolatry book is essentially chapter two in this book, I believe. But, um, or no, it's chapter one. Chapter one. Chapter one. This, this book has more <laughs> in it. Yes. There, there are things that I have underlined in this book that I went to underline in my other one. I'm like, it's missing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Modern idolatry is a very condensed version of it, isn't it? I, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just a direct copy of chapter one. But uh, looking at it last night, I was like, uh, whoops. <laughs> we should have just <laughs> chapter one there. If we have this, if we go through it a little slower, maybe we can hit on some of the points that are missing. That I, I don't know why the big hurry anyway. It's to digest it and to really communicate with each other. It takes time. It's not a, you know, it's not a book report. <laughs> yep. Not a waste. I'm just trying to get to those 24 lectures that are my favorite. But yeah, I, I've been chastised by the spirit on that one so <laughs> yeah i think uh, it would be good to to go slower and uh, go at that pace that, that Abraham recommends there so yeah we'll we'll do uh, chapters three and four next week um for that one um if anybody is is still not going to have their book by by next week um uh, know that I, I i sent out that attachment of chapters one through four um uh, but that is from the the modern idolatry it's not from the last days the, the more complete version of it um but but yeah uh, it, and if money is an issue for you i i can help uh get that to you um i have permission to to do that but um any other questions or or housekeeping things before we head off for the day yeah it's been such a fun discussion i love our, our saturday mornings it's, it's going to be a fun one but but rule number one you don't have to be pretty you don't have to wear makeup and everything <laughs> I, I just came like straight out of bed for this one. <laughs> all right well if nothing else we'll we'll head out for the day and we'll see you next week i'll be sending a, a an email to kind of update everyone on on that um because i see that there are quite a few people that couldn't attend today and uh, if you have problems accessing the recordings um, again just kind of going through that um, you would log into your isaiah institute account and click on live uh recordings and then navigate find uh because some people are in uh, two or three kind of things. So navigate to the one that you want and you can watch the recordings after. It usually takes about two days for that recording to show up. Um, and I think you can watch the, the most recent six or eight weeks before they, they kind of expire. So okay. yeah. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank yeah. you, Cameron. Yep, it's so exciting. I'm, I'm excited to get to know everyone and <laughs> it's gonna be fun. All right, have a great week, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye.
Uh, Darlene, sorry. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't get it. Uh, where can I find these films? I don't know where I can have a look for this. Ah, here, he's writing. <laughs> film can be found as you look into, okay, that I have to write down. I, yeah. It said it's yes, he said it. <laughs> yes, can't help. Um, sorry, I didn't see your chat until I was like, <laughs> you know. Um, so let me screen share my uh, thing here really quick. Okay, so um, you're gonna head over to Isaiah Institute. Where is my, oh, there it is. Um, let me log out so that you can see the whole process. Mm -hmm. So up at the top, um, you click on the, the user icon with that little cog on it, and then you're going to log in. And um, over here on the left-hand side, it's kind of confusing because they have two links that look very similar, but you're going to click mm -hmm. on live book discussion. Mm -hmm. And then um, you're going to navigate down. So Currently, it's listed as Isaiah Decoded because that's what our group did last year. They haven't changed that yet, um, but it's the, the Saturdays, 9 a.m. with Cameron and Darlene. And so when you go to that room, um, let's see, if I click on this, it's going to exit out. But anyway, you'll click on go to the room and um, you'll click on the little folder icon up at the top. Um, actually, let me do this from my other browser so that it doesn't throw things off. Okay, live book discussion. And Cameron and Darlene. So we go to the room. And it'll nice. pop up with, um, it'll start joining this meeting, but you can just ignore that down here. Mm -hmm. But you click on the recording folder uh, up here at top, and you can see view recordings, and it'll do this little pop-up window here, and um, then you can watch the recordings from there. But again, mm -hmm. it takes about two days for that to um, format and and get put in there. Um, but anyway, you'll be able to to watch all of the recordings in this window. Thank you. I think that's the same thing Russell was needing help with. Yeah. Did that answer your question, Russell? Maybe. Yes. Thank you. Okay. That um, that answers the question. Okay. Sounds good. I can't. Sounds I can't good. remember my login though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yep. You got to figure that one out. I just wish we could live in a world that didn't need passwords and everything. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Only it's a way in the temple. <laughs> one password, one important. <laughs> yep, exactly. 
But yeah, um, and uh, I'll probably go through that process again next week uh, okay. as we're learning how to do it. And once that recording is actually there so I can show people. But but yeah, if you have any other questions or anything come up, uh, feel free to email me and, and we can yes, get fine. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, yeah. have a nice day. Bye.